episode 10 of RV8, I wanted to give a quick shout out to Danielle Chittenden, one of my nearest and dearest friends. Danielle, I don't know your last name. You got married to a man that I've met maybe once or twice, and I don't know his name off the top of my head right now. But anyway, just wanted to send you a shout out, tell you that you're loved and missed terribly, and that sooner or later, I will meet your adorable children, and I will more than likely scare them as I scare most small humans. Anywho, my name is Eli. Thank you all for listening. Let's get started. So, let me just start off by pointing out that two things happened fairly recently that are of importance to me. There was my birthday, which fell on November 1st, and my legendary mother's birthday, which fell the day before on Halloween. Because my mother has never been the one to be able to be overshadowed by something like a national holiday. I never really indulged in Halloween like a lot of y'all tend to do. Holiday was mostly spent praising my mother, justifiably, for the awesome legendary woman that she is. I mean, yes, I I grew up trick-or-treating like most children, but that was about it for me. I never really went, like, balls out on costumes. You know what I mean? The, The focus of my efforts was to indulge in candy. I also looked like Urkel as a young boy, and that was a really default costume that I could go to. I just cut my hair in a flat top and put those little attachment thingies at the end of my glasses so that they met at my neck whenever I took them off. Anyway, I was never the one to hype myself up for Halloween or partake in the festivities of something like a costume contest as I got older. Because my birthday was the following day, that's usually all I thought about as everybody was like, you know, hyping up on horror movies and weird makeup styles and shit to get themselves in the mood. Though I can understand the urge to get festive for it, a holiday like Halloween, I mean, I could never understand the insistence on overindulging in shitty horror films as motivation to get you to get your Halloween rocks off. I mean, I understand how people do it with Christmas. You know, you'll hear the songs before Thanksgiving. How could you not be in the mood to indulge in a film or a cartoon? I mean, I'll watch Die Hard and A Christmas Story. I'll watch Bad Santa. I'll watch Office Christmas Party. I'll even watch It's a Wonderful Life, depending on my mood to get hyped for some Christmasness. I'll even turn around and watch The Ref or or Gremlins or Long Kiss Goodnight or Kiss Kiss Bang Bang or something of that nature to get my Yuletide joy in. Because those are good movies, you see. Those are also Christmas movies, and it's undebatable for all of those movies that I mentioned. You know, people love to debate what is a Christmas movie or not around that time. But I will digress. All of them are Christmas movies, period. I've often 
exclaim to people that there are so many ways to indulge Halloween in Halloweenness than gorging on horror flicks, than indulging in a genre that's proven itself to be the silver medal, only two romantic comedies in terms of the overall shittiest genre over the past 20 years. Once upon a time, I worked with a stunning woman by the name of Brittany. Brittany is not just a horror fan. She's a fan of the macabre. I think that's how you say it. M-A-C-A-B-R-E, macabre. Weird piercings, tats, death metal, whatever it is. You name it. She was a fan of it. And of course, as a fan of the macabre, she seems to be interested in any film that just has fucked up things going on in it, even if it isn't a horror film. This year, though, she decided to indulge herself in a 30-day binge of horror films leading up to Halloween. An admirable achievement, man. Her Instagram story would suggest that she watched two to three horror films a day from October 1st to the 31st, and she gave them all star ratings on her story. And, and considering, gosh, I'm just doing the math here. She must have watched close to 60 horror flicks in 31 days. I mean, I couldn't help but to be fascinated by this draconian level of masochism. I mean, in her journey, there was a, a, a fuckload of obscure, super D-list horror films. Like, a lot of the stuff only true horror connoisseurs would watch. If one person would give a horror film the benefit of the doubt for creativity, for storytelling, perhaps. Hell, just for an original type of vision that's not really trying to copy somebody else, a woman like Brittany would be the person that you would go to. According to the results of her odyssey, in the 70s and 80s, there was a combo of good to great reviews. In the 90s, there were a lot of good, you know, reviews. In the 2000s, I mean, there were somewhat good reviews, but substantially less. And then once 2010 hit, these one-star reviews and these half-star reviews started floating around like fucking bees. And I mean, she covered everything, the whole spectrum, old and new, English and foreign language and animated. Otherwise, she covered everything in that time. And how could she not? I find myself in a place not really able to assess foreign language flicks in detail or the quality that they've had in this decade, but I have seen plenty of American horror flicks entirely in theaters. And because of that, I haven't dared give American horror any more of my time outside of those experiences. I feel like I would have to make a podcast onto itself to go into detail of covering an entire decade of this genre. So I wanted to take a different approach here. For this, I just wanted to take some time to speak to the American horror film consumer. The person that sees a trailer, makes their way to a theater as I do and or did, <laughs> and more than likely forgets completely about the movie they just watched right after they arrive back home. 
I just got questions, man. Questions for you common moviegoers who are largely responsible for the constantly overinflated opening weekends and domestic grosses of these fucking films. Questions for those who continue to consume and defend this genre. Just a just just a couple, man. Just bear with me here. Question number one. What is a real horror film to you? The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, the AMPAS, has to date six acknowledged horror films that have ever been nominated for Best Picture. Okay? They are the following. Jaws in 75, Exorcist in 73, Sixth Sense, I believe it was in 2000, Black Swan in 2010, Get Out, I believe it was 2017, and the best picture of 1991, The Silence of the Lambs. The census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Ask yourself, how many of these flicks would you consider to be real horror films? I mean, The Exorcist is very obviously a supernatural horror flick. It's still held in high regard and respected for what it was intended to be. Get Out was considered a horror film when it was winning all of the awards, and it was cute to call it that, but as soon as all the buzz died down all these years later, motherfuckers started calling it a psychological thriller, even though it's essentially Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which is very much considered to be a horror classic to this day, right? Jaws is what we commonly refer to as a creature feature. That is a term, uh, a real horror term, but because we don't see creatures or consistently see Jaws, the creature of this film in this case, the distinction of it being horror is easily overlooked. I mean, what do you even call it these days? A thriller with a shark? An action movie? It's not really any of those. And well, the other three that I mentioned, well, those films are thrillers, you see. Technically speaking, the rest of the films mentioned are psychological horror films, but you can't tell anyone that these days. This thing has been going on for a long time, these debates, man. And it's always annoyed me, but it didn't get too ridiculous for me until late 2018. This episode is brought to you by Boss of CMOS, the number one CMOS brand in Washington state. So what are the benefits of Irish CMOS? Often touted as a superfood, proponents of this algae claim it can strengthen immunity, improve digestion, and even produce glowing skin over time. Irish moss alone contains 92 of the 102 minerals that our bodies need in order to thrive. Boss of Sea Moss is a brand that incorporates Irish sea moss into things like face mask gels and bath bombs. They also have lemonades both in the original flavor and a new strawberry lemonade, as well as two original blends that you can put into smoothies of your own. The original 92 mineral formula and the herbal blend with all 102 minerals support black owned businesses. Check out Boss of CMOS at their website, bossofcmos.com. Again, that's bossofcmos, S-E-A-M-O-S-S dot com. All one word, by the way. Once upon a time, found myself 
at my ever-so-beloved go-to theater, Century City, to watch the latest rehashing of the Michael Myers franchise, Halloween. It was the only thing that came out that weekend of any strong hype. It was written by Danny McBride and David Gordon Green, two men I eminently respect. I'm not going to go into a review of Halloween, but I just need you to know that I fucking despise this movie. Not necessarily because of what it is, but because of what it represents. Granted, Gordon Green and McBride, they know their audience very well. They know how loyal they are. They know exactly what they want. And most importantly, they know that if you're a fan of this franchise, you're just going to blindly accept whatever the fuck you're fed. And the amount of bullshit that's being fed to the fan base of this series Man, it's just really wild. Let's start off with the fact that there's a right way and a wrong way to implement what is known as retroactive continuity or retcon, which basically it's correcting what you feel you've made a mistake on in earlier films. The worst thing you can do, and I mean the worst thing you can do, is use retcon to delete the history of your franchise. Yes, I understand that Superman 3 and 4 were bad movies. And yes, the 1984 Supergirl movie is so insignificant that you probably didn't know it existed until I mentioned it just now. But a franchise is a franchise. Y'all got to make it work. Like, fit that shit in. At least, that's my opinion on the matter. In speaking with Yahoo Movies up until the movie's release... Co-writer Danny McBride said prior to the film's release, quote, we're kind of ignoring all the films past the first one. It picks up after the first Halloween, and it's sort of an alternate reality. It's as if the first one ended in a slightly different way. You see, the thing that gets ignored when you retcon improperly is that you're absolutely trashing the franchise that you're trying to promote. There really is no other reason to ignore all of the films past the first one if you as a writer think that everything past the first one are quality films. And in this case, they're telling you that they don't. I say all this because it's important to note that before the movie even got started, I mean, even before it got started, as a man who pays attention to things like press interviews and trailers and as a guy who goes back sometimes to look at previous films to get a better idea of what I'm about to watch, these particular peculiarities were already knee-deep in bullshit. It would take an amazing film to make me ignore all that I'd been hit with up until that point. And I mean... Not even before the main title of the screen, I'm hit with this bullshit opening scene. There he is. He can't speak. He just chooses not to. Hey, does anybody remember that scene from Silence of the Lambs when they were transporting Hannibal Lecter and they had him in the fucking full-blown straight jacket and they put that iconic mask on him to protect his mouth from the public because they were afraid that Hannibal Lecter was just going to do some crazy cannibal shit when he was let out into the public, even though he was never the one to display ravenously murderous behavior like that anyway. 
Well, <laughs> in the opening scene of this film, we see Michael fucking Myers in an open prison yard attached to one cinder block and some standard ass cuffs. We are told in the opening scene of this fucking movie that he is being fed three times a day. And even though he's 1000 times the rampaging psychotic as say Hannibal Lecter is, he's not getting that straight jacket and mask. No, he's getting regular fucking recreational activity. Our patients get fresh air, sunshine, a view, proper exercise, healthy diet. It pains me to see him transfer to that less than desirable facility. Oh, and by the way, he's groomed. <laughs> There's a close-up of the back of his head, and Michael Myers has a motherfucking shape-up. A fucking shape-up that you can see clearly on both the back of his neck and the side of his head. I can only imagine that the fucking process of giving a haircut to Michael Myers is worthy of at least a fucking short film unto itself, more or less the feature-length film, right? We're told multiple times throughout this film that Michael Myers is a human being, that he is flesh and blood, that he was birthed from a womb into the world just like the rest of us. And yet we see him consistently absorbing physical punishment that supernatural creatures absorb in these types of fucking movies. Man, they, had, they even had the fucking nerve to insinuate that after that prison bus crashes on the deserted highway in the middle of the night and Michael Myers kills the father and the son that inexplicably stop in the middle of the road to... I don't know, help the prisoners get it back on the bus or some shit. This movie has the goddamn audacity to insinuate that Michael Myers, Michael Myers commandeered a vehicle and drove to the town where Jamie Lee Curtis's character was staying. Not only was he aware of the location that he was in, but he actually like apparently knows the rules of the fucking road and was able to commandeer a vehicle and drive to a city. But this movie doesn't have the balls to show Michael Myers doing things like waiting at a red light, like making a right turn, like checking the street signs to see if he's on the right path or parking the fucking car. Because no, that would be too ridiculous, I guess. This is a film with gigantic continuity errors but hey i guess i'm just being harsh right fuck you eli it's a michael myers movie they say why are you dissecting it so much they say it's a slasher movie they say stop overthinking things turn your brain off they say you need people like me so you can point your fucking fingers and say that's the bad guy you horror people actually had me believe that i was the d-bag for overthinking shit like Michael Myers movies. But then two months later, another movie comes out that's also a horror sensation and things changed up a bit. Now, I thought I already done told y'all to get off my property, okay? So if y'all wanna get crazy, we can get crazy. Christmas Day 2018, the trailer to a movie called Us comes out. Us is the second feature film from Jordan Peele 
who was actually, actually, he still remains the horror director of the moment, I suppose. From the moment that trailer hit, the hype began. The kind of hype that slasher films or routine supernatural films do not get. And you can tell by the way the trailer used the iconic 90s hip-hop song, I Got Five On It by Loonies, that this was going to be original, and this was going to be something that was going to try and be special. I'm not going to sit here and say that Us is less successful than Halloween because it absolutely wasn't less successful financially or critically even. I'm also not going to say that the response to it was negative because it wasn't. But what I couldn't ignore was the excessive, incessant discussion of every single solitary detail that it put in itself. What did the scissors mean? What did the rabbits mean? What did the jumpsuits mean? Why were the jumpsuits red? What did the scene mean when the kid lights himself on fire? What was that supposed to symbolize? What was the hands across America symbolization? Like, did it need to be there? Blah, 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 blah. And with aggressive analyzation such as this comes criticism. And ultimately us, like Get Out before it, has been deemed to be overrated by most of you horror people that I speak to. And you know what? You know, whatever floats your boat, right? I'm not here to say that your opinions are wrong or stupid. But the one thing you cannot say is that Halloween is a better technical movie on quite literally any level. Not the way it's shot, not the way it's written, and especially not the way it's acted or the way it's directed. Us is a superior film in every possible technical sense, as is The Babadook, as is It Follows, as is Let Me In, or any other horror film that actually gave a fuck about the details that wanted to make your brain work a little bit when it comes to this genre and not have some mindless story about an unstoppable killer facing a bunch of unsuspecting, ill-prepared victims in a story that doesn't even give a fuck to give you continuity that's straightforward. <sighs> Question two. What is it that you, like, want, horror people? What do you want? It doesn't seem like you want your horror films to be too intelligent or artistically done, and it doesn't seem as if you want gimmicks because the found footage gimmick that Paranormal Activity introduced and the torture porn gimmick that, that Saw introduced seemed very ingenuous at the time and it seemed to be embraced, but I know that those franchises wore out their welcome so thoroughly that, you know, I can understand your distaste for those gimmicks in 2020. You don't want real horror to be too funny, like Happy Death Day, for example. Otherwise, they're comedies. You don't want real horror to have too much action, like World War Z or Zombieland. Otherwise, they're action films. It doesn't even seem as if you want real horror to have too much of a human story like Annihilation, for example, unless you consider them dramas. So I look at a film like Overlord, which is one of the best overall films of the entire decade, fucking horror film or not, and I say, okay, there it is. Sure, it has a World War II background and might be considered one of those action-y films by horror purists, but it's essentially Reanimator. Remember Reanimator? Like from 85, that one? That one still 
like a stone-cold fucking classic, isn't it? Overlord has everything to satisfy everyone. It's got great reviews. It's not opening against a substantially bigger film than what it is, at least. And, and, and you know what? Nobody saw it. There's Doctor Sleep, right? Absolutely fucking great sequel to one of the greatest and, and most cherished Kubrick movies of all time in The Shining. And nobody sees that either. Then there's Crawl, which is an old school like creature feature that had everything, just atmosphere, creativity, violence, suspense. It's in the summertime, I believe it was, and nobody sees it. Okay. So what gives? I thought about that. What gives? And then it hit me like a ton of bricks, man. With very, very few exceptions. Audiences this decade don't care about walking into a horror movie. They don't care about making horror films financially successful unless it has something to do with blood, guts, and boo scares. Blood, guts, and boo scares. That's what American horror films are. <sighs> the boo scare. The boo scare. In case you don't know what that is, that's the moment when the camera zooms in on a person, place, or thing, and then the soundtrack grows in volume, only to suddenly turn off. And then have something just pop out at the screen, and this super loud noise plays. The Boo Scare is to American horror films as like the the crossover is to Allen Iverson, like as the moonwalk is to Michael Jackson. Sure, there are lots of other things that horror films try to do, but in the basis of American horror film in the 90 to, you know, two hours that you may be in the theater, the whole point of an American horror film is to build up to the Boo Scare. And there's always a large group of young, good-looking actors that will be cannon fodder to the scene that will induce the boo scare. The biggest lie told to a modern-day filmgoer is that the manufacturing of a boo scare is both A, scary, and B, pulled off because of some resemblance to directorial skills. Trailers in and of themselves have about two or three of these boo scares just to sell the fucking movie. The egregious use of this tactic is the singular thing of what separates good horror films from the bad ones. It's one of the least creative things that modern day cinema continues to fucking do. I guess I should just tell you what I feel the best horror films are in terms of the theatrical releases of the past decade, just to cover my bases here. Um, there's, uh, let me see here. Annihilation, 2018. Good. Fright Night, 2011. Good. Get Out, 2017. Great. As Above, So Below from 2014. Good. Overlord, as previously mentioned, from 2018. Great. Us, previously mentioned, from 2019. Great. Let Me In from 2010. Wonderful. It Follows, previously mentioned, from 2014. Wonderful. 
Ready or Not from 2019. Good. Hereditary from 2018, which is, in my mind, probably the best horror film of the entire decade. The Babadook from 2014. Great. Cabin in the Woods from 2011. Great. Sinister from 2012. Good. The two Conjuring movies. Good. And finally, Crawl from 2019. Wonderful. Also previously mentioned. Even now, when I look at that list, it reminds me of the state of things in this genre, both for the good and the bad, right? On the good side, you have the Conjuring movies and the Jordan Peele movies. Legit blockbusters that don't need a signature villain or a cheap gimmick in order to become immensely popular. I look at the numbers on these films, and it's almost inexplicable as to how they made as much money as they did. I look at the aftermath of the success of these movies, seeing Jordan Peele pretty much become the Tarantino-esque figure of horror, I guess for lack of a better phrase, and I can somewhat understand why there's been an entire horror cinematic universe based off of these Conjuring movies, although those movies are fucking terrible. But as far as the, as far as the rest of the films listed, a lot of the rest of the films on my list had absolutely no chance to make any real money outside of something miraculous happening. All the rest of them were barely promoted. Some of them came out at a time where a bigger budget film or a film that had some strong marketing behind it was going to be released right before or or after it. And, you know, that film eventually blows horror films out of the water no matter what they are. I, I think of things like The Walking Dead like Stranger Things, like, like Bates Motel, and like American Horror Story. Three TV shows that came out this decade and that have either become critically acclaimed enough to garner Emmy nominations at will, or it seems in the case of Stranger Things and Walking Dead, they became notable fixtures of pop culture. Like I look at the rest of this list outside of Conjuring movies and Jordan Peele movies, and I kind of think maybe these would have been more successful if they were TV shows or, or miniseries. I would like to shout out a very good man by the name of David Zuckerman. He runs an independent studio called Crooked Jaw Productions. He made an independent horror flick that's called President's Day. I suggest you watch. It's pretty good. I think the people who are on the grind like David Zuckerman... I think of people like him, I think of what it would be like for that guy to see something that he makes in this genre be organically grown and fed to the masses. No pun intended. I've always made comparisons to filmmakers like him as one of those mom and pop shops, you know? Sometimes, just sometimes, a mom-and-pop shop can grow into a national brand, and it's a really beautiful thing to see. I've also made the comparison that, unlike a mom-and-pop shop, that the big four, Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees, Freddy Krueger, and Leatherface, are the McDonald's, Burger King, Taco Bell, and Pizza Hut of the horror genre. And whenever a new rehashing of the outdated slasher serial killer trope with the big four comes out, I mean, most moviegoers have been so indoctrinated to trust those brands 
that they just happily feed on whatever bullshit those friend those brands feed them i have very little doubt that something made from crooked jaw productions will hit the big screen i mean assuming that big screens are still around before we all have grandchildren and i have faith that either him or his company will have a Jason Blum type of reliability with a horror audience and maybe he can have some recognition himself to go with whatever independent film he puts out regardless of genre I don't know how many people I talk to in this city that have made like little mom and pop shop type films that have something to do with the horror genre most of them are out of film school most of them have had something that can catch on most of them have an original take on the genre itself, and most of them have the balls enough to actually be thought-provoking and not brainless. To see David Zuckerman and people like him through social media, right, you can just tell they truly love this genre. Their passion for it is very visceral. To him and to other filmmakers like him in this genre, I simply say this, you can have that one movie that can be the Citizen Kane of American horror films. Like, the way the field of horror looks right now, all you have to do is be competent, and you can probably become a star quicker than you can in any other type of genre. But the way the game is right now, I mean, from what history strongly suggests, if your film just so happens to be released anywhere just before or after, any of these bland-ass, run-of-the-mill, copy-and-fucking-paste sequels or prequels to any of the big four in this genre, well, I mean, like many other mom-and-pop shops do when McDonald's or Taco Bell moves across the street, you're just gonna fucking lose. You're just gonna fucking lose before you get started. Like, whatever momentum you think you had, will instantaneously disappear. It should be noted that at the beginning of 2020, there were a fuckload of theatrical releases released between the start of the year and when theaters were ordered to shut down in March of last year. There was a prequel to the 2004 film The Grudge, a creature feature starring Kristen Stewart called Underwater. There was a supernatural horror film called The Turning. There was Greta in Hansel, which was a PG-13 rated horror film. A psychological horror flick called The Lodge. There was then a Fantasy Island movie that I can't really decide if I admire or dislike. You had The Boy part two which was a sequel to a horrible 2016 film and then you had two movies that in my opinion were legitimately entertaining one was the invisible man it's like this perfect combination of special effects and a story that was decently told and one of the world's best actresses in the leading role and then you have the hunt which is really well done as far as the action and the thrills are concerned but it does misfire a little bit as far as the social satire is concerned there's always something in this genre that can show you the promise of what there can be 
But then, you know, something like the lockdown hits and the momentum just abruptly stops. And, and one of the bigger questions I have heading into a new decade of film is whether or not audiences can embrace anything that's fresh or new from this genre before theaters open back up again. I guess the best case scenario, in my opinion, is that people will be so happy to be back in theaters that anything that is released at the time will be seen with fresh eyes and be given a new chance. I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe people haven't gotten the message by now, but I think the big four should just go away. I think it's better for the state of this thing that we don't have any more Jason or Halloween or Friday the 13th. What was the same thing? What was it? Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street or, or Michael Myers films. I just want them all done. I'm just tired of them. I hope this fan base can adapt. I hope. I hope, I hope, I hope. Guess we'll just have to wait and see. Just wanted to send a shout out to Third Wheel. Uh, Engineer Rashad, DJ Rashad on the ones and twos. I appreciate you all for listening. And you've made it to the next episode.